Hello, and welcome to the Pink Isle. My name is Henry Kathman, and joining me is Emma Corey. Emma, how are you today? Um, well, um, it's been it's it's been just a just a grand old time here, living life in the year of our Lord twenty twenty one. You know, but uh, oh yes, sometimes watch watching uh watching uh. A uh, direct-to-video CGI fairy movie really just puts everything into perspective and, you know, gives us a delightful distraction to the woes of everyday life. Hmm, that's certainly... I suppose that you could say that. Although, watching these movies makes you wish that they would never end. But alas... Unlike... Unlike that one movie with the big scary-looking dog dragon... This this movie series eventually comes to an end because we are watching the last of the Tinkerbell films. Uh, Legends of the Never Beast. I think it's wait, Dog Dragon. What? What? I think it's just what sing- dog is- singular Legend of the Never Beast. Oh oh, whatever. What, what sort of dog dragon thing is that? The Never Beast. No, I was talking about the Never Ending Story. Oh. Wow. Yep, yep, that makes more sense. I, Fake I don't know. Nerd. I don't know. I haven't seen this Fake. movie yet, so for all I know, the Never Beast could be basically Falcor. I don't know. Um, so I've seen this movie exactly once, and it is very—it's sort of the odd duck of the series because it was supposed to be the start of them making like a bunch more like well, Tinkerbell slash Pixie Hollow films that weren't like focused on Tinkerbell focused on her individual mm-hmm. friends and this was the fawn movie yeah. but uh unfortunately after this movie got made uh the, 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 yeah i guess they just decided they were not making enough money on these movies and you know kind of direct to video stuff kind of yeah as we talked about with the very first movie the uh the tinkerbell movies was produced by disney tunes and it Specifically, after a couple of years, around 2008, there was a lot of strife and unrest with uh, the studio being put under the control of Ad- of Ed Catmull and John Lasseter under the banner of the big reorganization efforts for the animation part of the Disney studio. Basically, uh, Lasseter called for a cancellation of all future films in production, including a Dumbo chicken little meet the robinsons pinocchio and aristocats direct-to-video sequel that was just completely shut down and instead they were focusing on the new positions with the disney fairies franchise and uh in the midst of this there was uh we talked a little bit about sharon morrill who is uh was a pretty wide and prominent member of the uh, Disney fairies and the early uh, Disney Toons era. By the end of 2018, when John Lasseter was ousted from the company, the studio was going to be shut down and the differing staff would be absorbed 
either into the greater Disney animation department or would be laid off. Oh no, it is something that provokes a conflicted feeling in me because on one hand, this is a studio that is responsible for some pretty enjoyable movies, ones that like I have a lot of fond memories of, particularly like, you know, people really loved the Goofy movie, the uh, some of the Aladdin sequels, Return to Neverland, the Tigger movie, that one's a big personal favorite, and of course, the Disney fairy movies. And I don't know. I mean, fairies it, love Lion King too, as well. That they do. But you were the inspiration for so many. The bad boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, they were. But yeah, no. There's there's a lot about this movie that does provoke some like curiosity in terms of what was going on during the production of this movie because. Tinkerbell and the Neverbees, like it, uh, like it didn't do terribly. It grossed like uh, four million in France uh, during its 3D run, uh, four million in Germany, uh, almost four million in the UK, 2.5 million in Brazil, 2.3 million in Russia. Huh. I guess that could sort of explain that, considering that most of the Disney fairies' financial popularity seem to lie outside of the U.S. And little. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, I kind of... That, uh... Yeah, I guess I did bury the lead on that one. Basically, uh, there's not much revealed about that. They would release, like, a couple of, like, press releases saying that they had these in the plan, but no plot details or any concept art or anything have been buried, like, revealed. In the sequel, uh, I mean, Chicken Little realizes that his father is a toxic influence and he cuts him out of his life. God, if only, if, if only. only. But yeah, what? but with this final movie, uh, we got a couple of people that I would like to pay some lip service to. Um, this movie has a newcomer in the director's chair. We got a Mr. Steve Loader. Steve Loader was... Uh, also pretty big i think you might have some familiarity with some of his previous works because in addition to directing this movie he did a lot of animation uh in the director's chair for the for kim possible like a lot of episodes of kim possible as well as that one tarzan direct to tv sequel series do you remember that when that was a thing there was also he also directed uh, the Clerks animated series, as well as uh, Brandy and Mr. Whiskers. Oh, that's a deep cut right there. Just, uh... In recent years, it seems like he's more stepped into the producer chairs. Like he's currently producing, uh, serving as an executive producer for The Ghost and Molly McGee, which is going to be an upcoming Disney Channel TV show, which looks pretty good, as well as Marvel's Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, which... We also have some veterans of the series joining, which I don't know. I'm excited for this. Those that's like the main people. Like, uh, and interestingly enough, uh, Tom Rogers is coming back as the uh, screenwriter for this. You might recognize him from some of the previous Tinkerbell movies, but also Bob Shuley, who is known for being the screenwriter for Sky High. And the other big people that I want to shout out are uh, 
are big new additions to the cast. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, our uh, the voice of Fawn. Uh, do you remember who was the previous voice of Fawn? I don't. I don't really remember. Because oh she was originally mm. voiced by America Ferreira in the first movie, but then all the other movies she was replaced by a different actress. And then once she got her own film, I guess they thought that voice actress wasn't famous enough, so they replaced her with uh, the bunny cop from Zootopia. So, Yeah, Jennifer Goodwin is joining on board, uh, replacing Angela Bardis. I looked her up and I, I found her. Oh. Yeah, We're which sorry, is unfortunate, because it's like... Yeah, Angela, you deserved that big ticket role. Like, I don't know. There's much to be said about how, like, getting celebrities to replace voice actors can kind of just undermine the whole profession. Then again, we do have some, like, relatively famous-ish actresses for the other voice casts. So, I don't know. Yeah, yes. But then again, I don't know if Mae Whit... Would you consider Mae Whitman, like... Uh, a class like I guess she's more known for being a voice actress but yeah I mean she's a pretty well known voice actress you know she's always gonna be Katara you know but um she will always be Katara and yeah. Amity so yeah there's that but the other big uh voice acting talent that we have joining us today is rosario dawson joining us to play this character named nix which mm, not sure how i feel about that why do you say that do you remember some of her uh turf controversy vaguely i know she's had some controversy surrounding her but i'm not really sure specifically what the controversy is i i, I should say they're they're so we're not sued it's there's a lot of big like allegedly's surrounding this but like some of the controversies involve like in 2019 a trans man uh derek finley filed a case against rosario dawson and her family alleging incidents involving discrimination misgendering and verbal abuse and physical assault charges were dropped though it, it's still a little bit hazy about that sort of stuff but it's still yeah controversy uh not well known in order to prevent her from uh being ahsoka tano and uh the mandalorian so yeah yeah and getting her own uh getting her own tv series on disney plus soon which hmm yeah i don't know it's don't feel great about that gotta be honest oh and she's gonna be joining uh kevin smith again for clerks three in the near future good great job to kevin me, she will always be uh mimi in the terrible rent movie <laughs> honestly i think that's a pretty good thing that could uh exemplify her career honestly Did you know someone who uh moo <laughs> with me uh, moo well, with me Emma. that character wrong act yeah i know it's the That's wrong a... character but you know but i don't know i i'm i'll be excited to see what happens with this movie yeah because you've you've never seen this movie right going in completely I've, blind so i'm I've gonna be interested this movie exactly once all the other previous tinkerbell movies i'd seen like at least like two or three times so now it's like 
I saw this one exactly once, and it's really... I, From what I remember from it, it's very, uh, how to train your dragon-esque. Like, it's yeah, basically a Pixie which... Hollow adaptation of that kind of story. It's one of those, like, uh, kid and their poor misunderstood uh, animal-slash-robot companion movies, so... Mmm. I think... Yeah, I don't know. That'll be interesting seeing how that ends up uh, phasing. Because I got to be honest, like, I'm a fan of... I'm a fan of How to Train Your Dragon. And honestly, if there was a movie to copy, that would be cool. But then again, I don't know. Some Part of what made makes the How to Train Your Dragon movies very, like different from a lot of other animated movies particularly dreamworks is the willingness to lean into those subtle moments and i don't know these movies the tinkerbell movies can get subtle at times and they do sometimes tap into that stuff but especially in these later movies they haven't necessarily gotten that to that point but i don't know i mean I'll be interested in seeing how it, it is, goes. From what I remember, it is a very tropey movie, but it is kind of like it. It does have a bit of a darker tone than any of the other previous Tinkerbell movies, which means it's kind of like a yeah. somber way to end the whole series. I mean, you'll see what I'm mm-hmm. talking about when you watch it. But I don't know. It's kind of a shame though, because like that this was the first and last non-Tinkerbell focused movie we got well i mean pirate fairy wasn't like even by pirate fairy she was being kind of like decentered a bit but yes where it was it was less her arc and more like focusing on the other characters and i mean i like fawn good enough but she's probably like my least favorite of the companions like Mm. that's fair that's fair she does it she does tend to kind of fade into the background more when in compared to the other group like she did seem kind of spunky and stuff in the first movie but that seems like where her personality shined the most yeah. that her personality said, is basically it, horse girl and <laughs> yep <laughs> it's the applejack problem all yeah, over she's, again she's just kind of like you know a good nice girl who likes animals but like I don't know. That could have like been her like standout quality, but they couldn't commit in the other movies to make animals continue to hate Tinkerbell. So t- animals also like Tinkerbell. So you know. Mm. And I remember from watching this movie, I, I don't we'll know if to she see really how that ends up. the way they characterize her in this movie. She really feels like distinct enough as a protagonist. But then again, I don't mm. know. It's been a while since I've watched this, and I've only watched it once, so I'll have to give it see see how I how I think about it on the rewatch. I guess so. I guess so. There's one other note that I guess we're gonna. Ha- I want to look out for. Um, apparently, this movie has like a weird bit of region locking thing, um, where. A character named Fury is going to show up, and in the U.S. version, a voice actress by the name of Danae uh, Gurria. She was a Koye in uh, Black Panther and the Avengers movies. Oh my god, why did I not recognize her? So, like, she was 
and uh, Michione and uh, The Walking Dead. Yeah, she's voicing her, but in the UK version, guess who they got to voice her? Oh, in the UK version? Uh, I don't know. Mel B of the Spice Girls. No kidding. I Why don't... only in the UK? Because, <laughs> you know, Spice Girls be big in the UK. But they're still big in the UK? I mean, I guess. I don't know. From all I could tell, like, the last I heard of Mel B is her voicing being in America's Got Talent and stuff like that. But, like, yeah, honestly, I feel like uh, Danae uh, Guerrera, like, I think she's a better pick for, like, a character like this based on, like, what I'm seeing. She seems to be, like, this sort of, like, warrior girl type lady, which is, like... Yeah, I had forgotten that she was in this movie as well, but yeah, Yeah. so... So I guess we'll have to see how this goes. So, uh, with all that said, I believe it is time for us to journey for one last time into the realms of Pixie Hollow to learn the legends of the Neverbeast. God, God, whatever. There's only one. Here you go, Crocky. You'll be back splashing around with your flute in no time. His what now? His flute. That's what you call a group of crocodiles. Animal groups have all kinds of fun names. Really? Like what else? Aha! I'm glad you asked. Well, geese live in a gaggle and coyotes in a pack and a group of jellyfish is called a snack. Here's a rookery of seals and an army made of ants. By the seashore, you can find a gulp of cormorants, zeal of zebras, hover of crows, lions or prides, as everyone knows. There are quivers of covers and shivers of sharks, and an exultation is a group of larks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this very special edition of The Pink Isle, where... I think for the first time, one of these movies actually might have made Henry cry a little bit, which is yeah, just just a delight. This to witness. was uh, but uh, this this y'all listener y'all 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 I I don't know how to properly describe the feeling which this film has left me. I find myself just bereft of so many emotions this like the happiness the sadness just that bittersweetness this this is by far like i must say it the best of the disney fairy movies and the fact that they ended it on such a somber and bittersweet note just really hits different because Uh, you almost wonder if the animators who made this movie were aware that this was going to be their last movie under this current system. You know, imagine just like working with the same people for many of these movies only to find out that your entire film division was going to be absorbed. And just that feeling where it's like this being that last hurrah. And it produces just such a... I don't know. This movie just demonstrates it's not perfect. There are some faults that I'll get into, but there's like the level of artistry that is at hand with like some of the storytelling and with the ways that they've utilized these characters. While not perfect, it definitely shows just this level of competency and all this potential 
that is still wrought from this franchise, and it leaves me wanting more, which I suppose is the best praise you can leave for a final farewell to a franchise like this. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Emma, what, what did you think? I actually really, really enjoyed it. Um, it really felt like a real breath of fresh, fresh air compared to like the other films and even like other of these kinds of movies that we've seen in the past. Like, I, I did really admire the studio that for their last movie, they really went and like tried to do something that felt really different. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked really well. And like, and like you said, it really feels like, you know, like this is like a send off to these characters, you know, um, which and is just the knowledge that this is the last movie in this franchise watching it just really makes like the tone and message of the movie, I think a lot, you know, stronger. I mean, the movie does kind of follow your kind of typical, like, you know, like kid. It's very much their, a horse girl movie. It's very much a horse girl movie. It's a, uh, you know, there's a uh, there's this creature, but only this uh, our protagonist understands them truly, and they're misunderstood. Oh yeah. And there's like a villain that's trying to get rid of them. Yeah. And uh, but, but they learn the, su- the error of their ways, and but, yeah. And then it's got kind of like a bittersweet ending, as you said. But um, and- you know, I think. I think this the they this trope feels kind of like unique in this movie because they add like these uh, fantasy elements to it that makes it feel yeah. very interesting. It has a this movie has a very intense climax, like it even really more intense does. than like than uh, uh, Secret of the Wings, which had like the ice storm or whatever. This one really feels like this it one turns it up to eleven in that uh-huh. yeah, where it's like eldritch storms emerging in the sky versus uh contraptions having a mishap it's Uh it's intense and yeah i i feel like to your point about how it's similar to other stories i mean comparing this to like honestly the only other movie like this that sort of hits those same marks for me is like the iron giant which you know Comparing this movie to the Iron Giant is slightly unfair because they those though honestly the fact that this movie can like go toe to toe with a movie that is widely considered one of the best modern animated movies, I feel like that says a lot. You better you better keep that quiet before uh, Warner Brothers finds out and starts putting the Never Beast into their uh, Ready Player Ones and their Space Jams. Jesus, so. Jesus Christ! You know what? I will say this. I will say this. Um, I don't want to give the mouse too much credit, but at least they're not like totally undermining the message of Secret of the Never Beast by making giant. Uh, kaiju monsters of the Never Beast attacking in a big old battle with the Avengers. <laughs> just oh god, just give them time. Just give them time, and they'll they'll start doing that uh, stuff. I hate it. I hate it. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that is gonna be the thing. Do they ever like make toys of the Never Beast? Because that seemed like a thing, like a merchandise thing they would do. Can you buy like a like a big like large plush of it? Is what I'm I'm thinking about. I'm looking. They did make one. Uh, they did make one official 
gruff Neverbeast toy. Um, and, oh, you could get them for pretty cheap, actually. Uh, like, they did make a, a, a bunch of merchandise for this movie. Mo they particularly marketed a, a Fawn doll, which, geez louise, Emma, guess how much these Fawn dolls are going for on eBay? Uh, how much? $250. Dang. <laughs> Dang. I guess they didn't make a lot of them because they're... The, well, the, they're in, like, mint condition box things. And the Gruff Dolls, they're still going for, like, a solid chunk of, like, uh, 14, 17, and all that stuff. But then, Emma, I'm going to just send you a link to this one Etsy shop who has made a extremely realistic uh, Gruff Doll that, ma that, like, matches the proportions of the movie. It's... It is exceedingly impressive. Like, right. and it costs um, $400, which is a little like, uh, I don't know if I would want to spend that much on it, but, you know. Yeah, but, you know, well, people will go hard for their, their custom plushes, you know? This is true. This is true. Yeah, uh, shout out to a, the... I should give a shout out to this uh, artist. They're they're known as Skaz Kodrum. Uh, I'll link them on Twitter as well. They make a lot of like very elaborate plushes and stuff from a bunch mm -hmm. of different things. Very cool stuff. But yeah, no, this is this movie. This freaking movie. I'm like, I th I mean, honestly, the best way to describe some of the reasons why I like this movie so much. Like, we might as well get into the plot with this. Like, yeah. So, the movie starts off with uh, our newly designed Fawn doing a quick montage of her helping out some of the woodland creatures. And, you know, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty uh, cute and stuff. Like, these movies uh, do a very good job of making the... Uh, you know, these movies do a pretty good job of making uh, their animal creatures cute when they're not bugs. So, like, yeah, good on yeah, them. Yeah. That is kind of something you pointed out when we watched, though, that, like, when Fawn became the main character, suddenly her design became a lot more traditionally feminine. Like, she definitely kind of loses yeah. her sort of tomboy look that she and had in the other movies. And I, I gotta be honest, I'm not sure how to feel about that, because it's like... Part of the th reason why Fawn appealed to so many, like, kids is, like, uh, the Disney Fairies franchise had, like, a similar thing going for it, like, to the, uh, to, like, My Little Pony. You know, you got, like, your brainy one, you got the sassy one, you got the, uh, you got one that's all cutesy, and then, uh... Yeah, Fawn is definitely the Applejack of the group, but you know, kids like Applejack for a reason. Like, you know. Yeah, everyone's so everyone's be be hating on Applejack, but you know what? She was just a simple country gal who loved her family and you know was hardworking. You know, she she did what she had to do. Okay. Yeah, it's exactly. not her fault. She's a little bit boring compared to the other ones. Okay. Like, yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I'm looking alone. at like. Uh, it's weird because I'm looking at like some of the previous designs of Fawn from the previous movies, and it's like, 
Her design was fine. I don't know why they didn't keep that. Well, I know why, because they wanted to make her more doll-like so that they could tie them into the merch, but it's... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, yeah. it, I don't hate the new design or anything. It just, it just kind of made her feel like she was just kind of a like, reskin of Tinkerbell a little bit. Yeah, she does. That is the kind of thing with Fawn. Like, I like her good enough in this movie, but she does feel, she doesn't really feel super distinct from Tinkerbell, the way she's characterized, because she kind of goes through the same, like, kind of Tinkerbell-esque arc that she goes through in these movies where she's like, you know, I'm doing something that some people might think is irrational, but I know that I'm doing the right thing and people, you know, and I make mistakes, but, like, people gotta trust me on this and trust my instincts and, you know, and it's like... Yeah. And it, it's the whole thing, like, or, like, with Tinkerbell and, like, the Winter Woods where it's like, oh, she's doing something... People are telling her that she shouldn't do, but in the end, it turns out she was actually right. So, like, yeah, yeah. I don't know, because I feel like Fawn, she was a bit more bare bones as far as her characterization goes. And I feel like if this movie had been like a Rosetta movie or like a Silver Mist movie, it would have had to have, they would have had to do something, you know, really different with how they had the protagonists work. I but. think so. And I feel like that was probably the reason why they chose to make Fawn the focus of this first. I mean, that said, like, I, I mean, technically they did, there was like a Disney fairy short before this, uh, like the Pixie Hollow games where Rosetta was like the big focus, but like, Yeah, but that know. was just like a 30 minute special. You yeah, know? maybe we'll talk about that at some point. I don't know. But like, I remember watching it on TV. It was it was fine. It was like yeah. made to like tie into the Olympics. Yeah, you know, on a lot of shows. That, like, but there was also like car racing stuff in it. It was like a cart race thing, or it was like a bobsled yeah. type situation. I think from I remember. Also, Brenda Song was in that one. So, fun fact. Hmm. Anyway, we're getting off track, but yeah, you're definitely right. I feel like. It, I, it would be kind of hard to imagine like what sort of movie they would want be able to do with Silver Mist or Rosetta or Iridessa or uh, the other fairies. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would have loved to see what they would have had in mind with them because I feel like they could have done some really cool stuff with that. But as it stands, I don't know. I, I don't think like Fawn is a weak element of this movie. Like... I think part, like, I mean, to give some credit to this movie, like, Tinkerbell's characterization in the previous movies was one of its high points. Like, the sort of thing that, the sort of character that Mae Whitman, indu like, imbued into Tinkerbell, like, made it very, like, understandable, identifiable, but also, like, made it, like, very dynamic. And I think that, I think carrying those qualities over to Fawn was a good idea, but I feel like there are some things that they probably, I don't know. I think it could have been nice if, if it, if it wasn't so clear that this movie was trying to protagonistify Fawn, you know? Yeah, but, I mean... 
Yeah, because really the only reason yeah. that this movie stars Fawn instead of Tinkerbell is because it's like uh, an animal focus. So, because they even have Fawn kind of do the Tinkerbell thing where she does like research about like the subject she's studying and like, you know, kind of schemes around. So, yeah, I you know what? I, I almost want to wonder like if they were originally developing this movie with Tinkerbell in mind for the protagonist only for people to realize wait a second uh, we have a animal focused fairy here right here people are going to notice that we're not using her well okay well, well we can tweak some things and then just make it about her yeah I mean, it could be, or like that, you said, it might have just, just been like but yeah. for making movies starring the other character, she was probably the one who could be like the most like malleable put into that kind of role. Yeah, but, um, but it is kind of fun in this movie that we kind of get Tink- Tinkerbell gets to be like the responsible one in this movie. Which, which honestly, is- that's freaking rich like uh skipping ahead a bit fawn asks like hey when have i ever done anything that put you in danger and all the fairies including tinkerbell are like mm, like two or three times in this past month and stuff and it's like tinkerbell really also like uh vidya you too like but like <laughs> I don't know. It felt a little rich coming from both of those two about like like uh, we we have established in these movies that it is okay for Tinkerbell and her friends to cause uh, massive property destruction and endanger the lives of others. Uh, but if anyone else does it, but that's you know if Zarina decides yeah, to do a like little Zarina alchemy, heaven just, forbid. She, yeah, that she gets fairy fired and has to like redeem herself or whatever but tinkerbell and fawn like uh, nearly kill people all the time and they don't face any justice for video not video god justice for serena hashtag justice for serena yeah no serena in this movie honestly a whole lack of action like this movie actually does lack a lot of the mainstay like side characters aside from the main group like there's no yeah, no, no Zarina, clink or no Periwinkle, no Clinker Bobble, Clink yeah, Bobble Nation honestly, is hanging. Biggest omission. Yeah, no Fairy yeah. Mary, no Fairy it's, Gary. Really, the only other character, ugh. like side character we have that appears is Queen Clarion, and also that goddamn nerd from Secret of the Wings <laughs> is back. Uh, who we now yeah his name is scribbles we find that out and it's like wow and he's a simp that's a character we definitely needed yeah so i don't know maybe we didn't get just say like you know i guess we didn't really get clank bobble and fairy mary because of tinkerbell not being the focus and they're like the tinker fairies so they they yeah but like they they were part of the group they like they are part of the group they go on adventures maybe not fairy mary but clank and bobble have been mainstays since day one certainly longer than video was like come on guys show some respect i don't know maybe terrence either but who cares oh yeah i i i I forgot i forgot to mention him whoops (laughs) That kind of... Sorry, Justin McCarthy. You seem okay-ish. I don't know, honestly, but, you know... Eh. Also, I just noticed something. Is this the only 
Disney fairies movie we've seen that doesn't show the the fairy dust tree? It shows it to some degree. I mean, that's where, like, the Queen Clarion was hanging out, and they were taking yeah. the Never Beast to show her them when they were having the meeting. But aside from yeah. that, it doesn't feature that prominently. Yeah, more than it, like, typically does. Yeah. Which... Yeah, so... It, is, it really just is an odd duck of the franchise here. It is. And honestly, I feel like that change of pace really helps with this movie. Like, it really... There, it really felt like a breath a of fresh vibe. air. Yeah. Like, this movie just has such a somber, yet playful and just bittersweet vibe that becomes more foreboding by the time we get to that last act and it's just i don't know it feels so dramatic and weighty that i i honestly wonder like how intense it must have felt for kids watching this for the first time if you were like a youngin watching this and like uh seeing this for the first time let us know what you how you felt watching this thing because boy howdy it it certainly did something for me but yeah Ugh. so on the quick just to breeze through more plot stuff so uh so fawn's big gimmick she that she's kind of stealing from tinkerbell is that she's taking in dangerous animals uh from the wild because she cares so gosh darn much for them uh, at the start of the movie, there's a baby hawk named Hannah that she's nursing back to health. And long story short, it causes some shenanigans where hawks eat fairies. And uh, Tinkerbell and Fun are about to transport uh, the Hannah the Hawk out of Pixie Hollow before uh, Rosetta levitates some blueberries that they were using to hide it and causing a bunch of hawks to hear its cries and yeah start attacking they the start fairies. attacking and <laughs> and this is where we get introduced to the other big element of this movie uh the scout fairies uh which is like these soldier sort of cop fairies uh yeah. Kind of like fairy, fairy border control, fairy animal control. Yeah, kinda. I guess that's a way to, yeah, yeah, fairy SWAT. That's sort of the vibe yeah. that gave me. And they're all led by Nyx, voiced by Rosaria Dawson. And she it, carries around a little a little porcupine needle as, yeah, a, as a stabby and, weapon. Yeah, and she doesn't stab a whole lot with it. But, you know, it's still yeah. like... One of them, one of them's got a bow and arrow. You know, they got uh, yeah. Hunger Games and all. It's all, it's all good. Honestly, I thought the Scout Fairies were pretty fun. Like, I think the they do some cool stuff with them. They and really do. Like, like interesting to see like like uh, fairies that can fight in this. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Also, like the fact that they use like they're flying in like this very choreographed like uh, persist precise manner like i felt really meshed well with this movie's animation style which i i guess i should note that here uh so i i if i had to name a big complaint for this movie it's that 
I think something that they were trying to go for with this last movie is trying to be a little bit more snappy and energetic in the animation style. Because you see these characters rapidly shifting from pose to pose in in a very quick manner. And I don't know. it. At, at certain times, it worked okay. But in other times, it just felt exceedingly like slightly unnatural and it felt a little bit manic i don't know what did you think of the animation emma yeah i mean you're kind of right the kind of snappier sort of frame rate they had going on in this movie it did work pretty well during like action scenes but during like kind of character scenes it felt a bit erratic especially when we get introduced to the never beast because you know it's supposed to be kind of like this big creature but it doesn't really feel like it has weight behind it because of the kind of floaty animation. I think the big problem with uh, the Never Beast from an animation standpoint with the Never Beast is that there's a lack of momentum that is kind of seen with the animation, which strangely enough is not something that you really see in these previous movies. Like the other movies seem to have like a sense of momentum just fine. The problem is, is when you have animation, like you have, there's a um like there's a basic principles of like action and follow-through where in order to make an action seem more believable you have to include some sort of follow-through action and by posing the characters so rapidly and almost like freezing on that pose moving to a different pose it creates this very uh it it doesn't give a lot of like impact in those motions and it makes them register less to the audience and part of me wonders if they were sort of like pressed for time with the animation on this yeah. i can't imagine it could be because n- like not. i don't know it could be because like other than that the animation here is actually it probably looks the best in the entire series like this movie yeah. looks really good like, it looks amazing like the background art is totally on point the camera angles and the general cinematography of this is like very good like i'm exceedingly like impressed by the level of skill that is on display here it just it makes me wonder like what was going on in some of the character animation to kind of like were it not for that one element i feel like this movie would be like very over the top like i don't know yeah yeah i don't know it is a bit strange but i mean like i said that that's another thing that can contribute to this movie just feeling a bit different than the other ones but mm -hmm. i I definitely feel like at the very least the snappy kind of animation does work well for this movie that's a bit more like action oriented where like i mean pirate fairy tried to have like action scenes but oh yes they didn't they didn't look nearly as good as the ones in this movie so yeah i think that's i imagine that's probably what they were trying to go for because this movie is so much more action oriented they probably wanted to try and make it more like snappy and stuff to be reflective of that which as you said, it works well in the action scenes, but like with some of these character scenes, like there's, you got to be a little bit more subtle for that to work. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, for the basic plot of this movie, it's pretty simple. Essentially, Fawn keeps on getting into trouble because she likes to, you know, take care of like 
the misunderstood animals, you know, the predators, the rats, mm-hmm. the whatever. And, you know, you got Fawn and her friends on one side, and you got Nyx and the scout fairies that are very much, like, no-nonsense. Like, we gotta protect Pixie Hollow from danger, and, you know... Yep. You're getting in the way with your hippie animal rights BS, Fawn. You know, <laughs> you know, Fawn facts don't care about your feelings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh... You get that, but of course, as a fawn is going about the day, we get this really cool, kind of like ominous scene. Well, we forgot to get some context at the beginning of the movie. We get like a little monologue where it mentions like there's this mysterious green comet that passes over Pixie Hollow, and no one yeah. knows what it does, but we, the audience, know that it ends up awakening this creature that lives underground. Yep. And it is this underground cavern that Fawn finds herself in, and we get to see our uh, the titular Never Beast, which is kind of like it really kind of looks like the 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 Bandersnatch from the 2010 Alice in Wonderland movie. If anyone <laughs> remembers that, yeah, <laughs> like it really does. And I'm just like, it's kind of like a like a badger bull looking. Like, yeah, it's got like, thing. yeah, it's got like this sort of dog like face, but it has like all of this, uh, like, but it also has like a big mouth. And oh my god, Emma, I'm looking at the picture of the Bandersnatch again. It, it really does look like that because it's got the long tail, it's even got like the a similar colored coat and sort yeah. of colored ears. And it's like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> But it, it's Tim Burton got to be suing, but I mean, I, I I like the design of the Never Bees good enough. I think it's a good mix of like looking like yeah, convincingly what? like like a beast, like a creature, but also still being kind of cute, but still also kind of ugly. Oh yeah, you know? yeah. It's definitely it. It gives me Appa vibes, like where Appa isn't necessarily like cute but it is like something that you really love like i gotta say you know we're talking about like sad animal media i feel like no no series of episodes in television ever gave me more stress than those freaking episodes where like appa was like kidnapped during uh the second season of avatar yeah like that shit stressed me out so much as a kid like i know as a kid i was always like really affected by any like any like story on tv where like someone like lost their pet like Mm. it just made me so upset (laughs) yeah and this this movie this movie gives a similar-ish vibe with that. Like, I think also, like, I one other touch I do like is that there are some, like, reptilian elements in addition to its mammalian elements. Like, the tail is, like, all scaly and stuff, and the claws are similarly scaly. And if, when you see, like, the Never Beast open its mouth, like, it has, like, a bunch of teeth inside its mouth. It's got, like, it's a little, like it's a little intimidating and you talked you joked uh as we'll see later in the movie uh emma you joked about how like uh fawn basically awakes cthulhu in this movie and (laughs) 
<laughs> there is like that sort of slight eldritch element to it where it's like uh there is that growing encroaching sense of the unknown and it creates such a foreboding atmosphere so yeah when when fawn begins to befriend the never beast through like this series of montages and stuff she sees that the beast is building these strange stone towers and like the design and like biology of this thing is so it's so interesting because it it like spits out stuff that will like um like it'll spit out like this weird cement like stuff and it will hang by its tail so it can pick up rocks and it it's like yeah it's doing this whole thing where it's like building these rock towers on each located in each of the four corners of pixie hollow and it's mm-hmm. like what is he doing? What is he all about? Where does he come from? Will these questions be answered and what will not be answered? Yeah, and it's a and honestly, it's a really good build up in terms of its mystery. Like they did a very good job like keeping the viewer in the dark for what it needed to in order to like give a good payoff with that. But eventually by the time that like uh, they finish one of the towers, there comes a time when, uh, like, the scout fairies, like, catch up to them, and, uh, and, uh, Fawn has to, like, make, uh, the Never Beast, like, hide away, which, uh, she gives the Never Beast a nickname Gruff, because, you know, he's all gruff and stuff, and I'll I'll use that name from now on. And mm. she guides Gruff away, and um, this causes Nyx to start studying up on any sort of weird animals. And this leads to probably the, the most uncomfortable scene in the movie where she goes to or the library. Scribble the simp. Oh my god, Scribbles just starts being all like, oh, well, you know, the the brain is actually somewhat of a muscle and i really uh, flex my brain <laughs> and it's just like this movie oh is God. very nerd phobic this yeah. movie does like have this movie does have beef against nerds and i don't know what's going on but like yeah the fact don't they that- know that gamers are a protected class <laughs> <laughs> god damn god damn uh, yeah. Now, Big Bang Theory is offensive propaganda. Yeah, that that they are. But I will say this at least: there's, uh, when she does like ask about like, uh, I need you to tell me everything you know about this Never Beast Legend thing, and he's like, oh, over dinner, and she looks at him bad and it's like, oh, 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 I got mix, I got. I read the wrong signals here. Sorry. So it's like he's at least not an in, he's not being an incel about it. Hopefully. I don't know. You might want to check his forum posts later on. <laughs> oh, queens only want these girls only want you for your books, but they don't want you for what's inside. Uh-huh. <laughs> God. Yeah. So- God. 
During this time, Sofan has befriended Gruff the Neverbeast, you know, through the, through the power of pop song montage, she has, uh, you know, gotten him to, you know, loosen up while he's going on his single-minded mission to build these rock towers, and, you know, they're having some fun, and she ends up introducing him to the rest of the gang, who are a bit, a bit skepti- skeptical, but at the same time, they're like, you know what, we want to support our friend, we want to trust her instincts. So they go with her to take Gruff to see Queen Clarion, where Fawn is gonna, like, explain the situation. Explain, like, hey, this guy, this this creature ain't so bad. This is all a misunderstanding. But yeah. whoops, Nyx got there first, and she had essentially read the scroll or whatever that Scroll had given her about the Never Beast, and the way she interprets it, she sees it as... Well, how would you describe this twist? How do they describe it? it? It's she basically it talks about like this beast being part of this ritual where every thousand years this comet like passes over and this creature begins to build mysterious towers all around the area only for it to suddenly begin to transform, sprout new wings, resulting in it gaining a new form and laying ravage to pixie hollow and that literally literally the mysterious comet and the like all of that that's literally like an hp lovecraft story right there minus all the racism so but as it turns out what is actually happening is that um that the Never Beast is actually stopping this encroaching storm from be- happening as, like, there's these, like, very ominous green clouds approaching from the distance, which honestly is, like, like it's a vibe that they set yeah. up that I enjoy. It is kind of... Even though this this movie does kind of, like, establish, like, some lore, it really does leave a lot of questions unanswered, like... Why do the green clouds happen? Where did the Never Beast come from? Like, why was it created in order to, like, stop the apocalypse? Or was it just, like... Is it a byproduct a of it? Or I, that yeah. decided to, like, make it its mission to, like, because... They find out that the Never Beast only ever wakes up when the comet goes by. And after it stops the lightning storm, it goes back to sleep. So... Yeah. It's, like... Where did it come from? Who created it? How does this fit into Peter Pan lore? God. Ugh. God. 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 I, I can't. That fucking... Please, please don't evoke that goddamn twink's name. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I, I, is it okay to... Is he technically an, a, an adult since he's, like, super old or just doesn't age? Or is he, like still mentally a child so he's still technically a child i mean there people talk about peter pan syndrome of adults acting like kids so well i mean people still do stalk uh the the guy who plays him at disney world so you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) y'all let's not do that guys can we not get can we not thirst over him we y'all can do so much better like literally Everyone could do so much better than a Peter Pan. Yeah. Anyway, 
Anyway, uh, so yeah, but this this does lead to this thing where the uh, like like the Never Beast is constructing these towers, and it I don't know. It's I like how like there's like that slightly whimsical element when they have like when Fawn and the, and Gruff had like this montage of them building one of the towers together as they start to get to know each other but it, when you see like the potential stakes that adds this like interesting dissonance of like oh this is lighthearted fun albeit towards something that is like has extremely high stakes and I think that's I don't know. That's good storytelling. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, of course, at the moment, Fawn doesn't know that him building the towers is, like, not just him, some kind of weird nesting situation. He's like... Yeah. You know, here's half the world. Here to save the world. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through this misunderstanding, as the green clouds roll in... Well, at first, Fawn, like, she's, like, convinced that whatever that scroll is saying that the way Nyx is interpreting it is wrong and so she's like yeah there's no way Gruff is like some kind of evil eldritch god like we played tag you know like <laughs> no one evil ever played games so. no but Which Tinkerbell I... le- being the responsible one for one is like yeah but like the scout fairies are still coming after him so you gotta like get him out of here yeah yeah and as a result uh they start to they seemingly have one last night together except gruff fawn wakes up and <gasps> gruff is gone and gruff is already headed off to the uh winter fairy area and Tink and Fawn uh, split up to go find uh, find them. Tinkerbell goes to the winter area first, whereas Fawn heads to the fall area to head off the scouts and try to make it seem like they're heading the other direction. But something that I do like about Nyx as a character, she's very logical, but it's she's not stupid. She clearly uses like logic as she begins to suss out, oh, wait a minute. All these other towers are here, so therefore it must be in the winter because that's the only place that doesn't have it yet. And it's like, and she clearly suspects that Fawn is up to something, which in an antagonist in these sort of kids movies, you know, you don't always get that level of competency. I don't know. That's also refreshing. What did you think of Nyx as a character? Um, I thought she she worked pretty effectively for what they were going for. You know, I guess you always like, it's always nice to see an antagonist that like, you kind of get like where they're coming from. They think that they're just like trying to do the right thing, but it's only kind of through like her like unwillingness to see other people's ideas and her own convictions that like ends up being her downfall. Mm-hmm. But like, I mean, Queen Clarion talks about how like I I trust both of you guys to do the right thing, which is you know a little bit wishy washy on your part, Queen Clarion. You know you probably could have given yeah. some more solid directions. Queen Clarion but... is a real a real lazy fair leader when she doesn't want to take responsibility <laughs> for these situations. Is all I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> no, I I'm very inclined to agree, but and because of that laissez faire attitude, uh, she just says like. She told me to do the right thing. So we're going to ride out at dawn. And it's like, yeah, you know what, Clarion? If you gave more 
if you gave a more hands-on approach instead of just going full top-down, maybe... I don't know. It's almost as if putting this much power and responsibility into a single person isn't the best way to structure a government. Hmm. Yeah. These hmm. movies haven't really convinced me that societies run by one magic lady are really that effective, but... Still have yet to see it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. regardless, uh, Tinkerbell ends up finding Gruff constructing one of the towers, and um, there's this, uh, like, she like she sees like suddenly lightning strike down, and it hits Gruff, and Gruff begins to like. There's almost like a body horror element to it as Gruff begins to grow these horns out of its head, and it's. It's very affecting, and I think this movie takes advantage of its medium as a kid's, like, movie, animation-wise, to sort of obfuscate information, because uh, suddenly Gruff becomes more restless and turns around rapidly, and it just immediately jump cuts to Tinkerbell being smacked and, thr like, flung away unconscious. And I think what makes that very effective is that you're kind of conditioned when you're watching a kid's movie to see them hide the punch so to speak because you know they don't want it to be uh violent and stuff so if a character gets hit usually they'll like cut away or cut to after the impact to imply the like punch without actually showing the violence and I think this is a very clear and clever way of using that sort of like standard uh, to hide information because as it turns out, what happened was one of the lightning bolts hit a tree and it was about to land on Tinkerbell, but Gruff hit him, hit her out of the way and saved her life. I think that's a really clever usage of your genre and medium because like, a kid watching this would be like would not really think nothing of it but an adult or an older kid who was watching this who's more familiar with the sort of like tropes and like methods that you see in these sort of shows might already be kind of aware of like oh okay they don't actually punch anyone here they just cut away and stuff so like we're already conditioned to think that that's just what happened when in fact it's a the filmmakers are trying to hide certain bits of information so they can reveal it later. And I think that's like, I don't know. That's, I think that demonstrates like a level of awareness in the type of stories that they're telling on the part of the Disney Toons animation team. And you know what? Just more props to them. I'm just, I'm just blown away at the skill here. But yeah, it, and also, I think what also really sells this moment is just like how the fact that Tinkerbell is like unconscious. She like people are like worried like, oh, is she gonna be okay? Like, yeah, and it's through this misunderstanding that Fawn is now having her crisis, being like, oh, maybe I was, I guess I was wrong the whole time. Uh, Gruff was this evil monster that they're making it out to be, and then uh, we get. The most dramatic scene in this movie, which, uh... Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that scene, that scene where, like, she finds Gruff, and 
like she calls Gruff over to see it like to see her only for like the scout fairies to descend upon them like and hit them with this nightshade which is like a sleeping thing and it was just like it was a very intense and sad scene i was just fun and the like, ice how did, what was your reaction in watching it yeah i kind of had forgotten about that scene so i was like kind of shocked i was like oh wow fun ice cold ice cold i know and i think the thing that like really sells it though is that you can clearly see like how much this hurts her and makes her like how much she wish it didn't have to come to this but like it it shows like how she felt like dang my friends are now hurt like there there was a line that was crossed in her mind and it's like well i i there i don't have a choice anymore but it still doesn't make it any less painful and like that's good that is good characterization that is like i love that it's so it's so good i just oh and then the sadness as they drag away gruff like we just see like fawn just like finally break down as you just see her crying alone in this valley and it's like <sighs> like it it was just like very intense and I, I this is where I was starting to get like oh 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 my oh I don't yeah. I was just yeah yeah it's, it's you know it, it goes it goes definitely the most like emotionally I don't know emotionally affecting moments i think in any of these movies is really the whole like latter like final act of this movie because after that you know fawn goes back to where tinkerbell is and she will she has woken up and it's and it's at this point where she lets uh fawn know that gruff actually didn't just attack her that he had saved her and so now fawn is like oh no what have i done i gotta like you know, let uh, let Gruff go, and so she, along with the rest of her friends, they go and find where he's being stored. As the as this is happening, like everyone is like going to shelter because this like big green lightning storm is starting to like you know, you know, fuck shit up. Only Nix had stayed behind, and she was essentially I in the towers, implying that she's gonna like try to like topple in the towers thinking that that's gonna stop the storm but it's when they release gruff that they begin to realize that actually the whole reason why gruff grew horns and why he ends up growing wings is that he's actually meant to catch the lightning and absorb it and it's with this revelation that you know yeah fawn realize realizes what she has to do and because uh Gruff had, you know, had the nightshade powder used on him before. He, like, can't really see right now, except for just, like, faint outlines. So Fawn is going to have to lead him to the towers in order to collect the lightning. I think that's a really good touch because it does allow Fawn to be more active in the climax. Because I think it could have been very easy to just have, like, 
Gruff be freed and him just fixing everything, but with this, it feels like an actual culmination of like the relationship that they built with one another. So yeah, and it's in the scene where like Fawn is kind of realizing like, oh, this is going to be a real dangerous situation, but I got to do it, and which is also sort of an intense thing to have in this children's movie because Fawn is like completely prepared for like you know death. Like I feel like this is the only. Disney fairy movie we've seen where like characters dying felt like a thing that was like on everyone's mind because like oh yeah oh yes yeah you even get get Tinkerbell throwing around the kill word uh, when she's talking about how like Gruff saved her from being killed so it's like you know they they fucking around in this last Disney fairy movie so you know Fawn mm-hmm. goes off fully expecting like knowing the dangers and there's a really there's a really funny moment where she's like, you know, well, if I don't make it back, Silver Mist, you can have my rock collection. And Silver Mist is just like, yay. Oh. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was such a good touch. Like, I know. Silver uh, Mist, so- honestly, Lucy Liu, in the few lines that she gets in this movie, she's just nailing that characterization. Silver Mist, like, Silver Mist if- still best girl. I weep that we never got like, a Silver Miss movie. <laughs> she is definitely the biggest of the Disney fairies. She's definitely the biggest himbo of every <laughs> all of them. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. You I know. Mean, yeah, For like himbos really need not lot. be male. Yeah, like yeah. Unfortunately, you don't really get a lot of like the the gang in this movie aside from Fawn and kind of Tinkerbell. So, you know, yeah, it, it would be nice to get a bit more of them. But the stuff they do have is pretty fun. But this kind of leads into our big mm-hmm. climax where, and like it's like intense. There's like the big like hole in the sky that's shooting off like lightning blasts and. Yeah, it gets pretty intense, and also there's this really cool effect where every time, like, uh, Gruff absorbs the lightning, he, he like, glows all, like, blue and stuff, and it's really mm-hmm. cool. It is really cool. But it all seems going well, and they're collecting the lightning from the towers, but uh-oh. Nyx uses a catapult to destroy the last tower, and it is only at that point where, uh... Where, you know, they fail to collect that last bit of lightning and Gruff ends up collapsing and they lose the lightning they collected. That she kind of realizes, like, oh, I just fucked up majorly. You done goobered it up. Also, like, just looking at the scenery as the destruction is being, like, put on display. As you see the lightning just, like, hitting the trees and them bursting into flames. It just, it looks like there's that sense of loss and like foreboding dread that I just it was very affecting as I watched this I was I'm I was just floored throughout most of what I was seeing here like uh yeah and by the end like we see like gruff flying off and there's just like this large explosion which emerges and it just it really did it for me especially as they look over and see 
falling from the sky a unconscious gruff and fawn and like gruff has like his wings and horns burning off and like you could see like the wings be all bony and it was just like yeah. it was a lot yeah it, like and so nick sends like the fairy the other scout fairies to go and uh stop gruff's fall and of course like Tinkerbell and her friends catch Fawn, but uh, Gruff is just kind of shaken up by the whole thing. But like Fawn is fucking dead. <laughs> yeah, no, that they just like look as they see this that she's just like lying lifelessly on the ground, and it's it, it's like it's very affecting. And then they uh, and. I guess you could kind of make say this is a little bit of a Deus Ex Machina, but what, whatever, whatever. They can't. They earned it as like, uh, like Gruff does have some lightning still circulating through him, and that lightning like hits Fawn and it defibrillates the heart. The movie ends with the rest of the fairies getting to know Gruff more as they, uh, as he helps out around pixie hollow and this is where we get to the saddest part this is the part of the movie that just really did it and made me just feel all the feelings i, 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 I would you mind just i just i need a i know Hen henry is getting he's very emotional about all this but i mean basically you know because of how the nature of how gruff works he only like wakes up whenever the comet comes by so and after fun and fun's all like his job is done he needs to rest now and and they this next scene this next scene they treat it like a funeral basically as like the fairies have like this procession of people leaving gruff back to his den and they and they lead and the light fairies make the dandelions fall and they're glowing as they descend upon the area and yeah. and then they you know gruff along with the gang they all go go down to the hole and rosetta has made him like a big like pillow out of cotton and yep and, and you know. iridescent made a little nightlight so he wouldn't get scared Silver Mist yeah. made a spring so he would always have water to drink. Yeah. Vidya made a soft breeze to keep him cool. Yeah. I don't know what Tinkerbell did. She did something probably. I can't probably. Remember. She probably coordinated all of this. And yeah. and but fucking I mean, Nix is all like, oh, and you have my eternal gratitude. And it's like, okay, Nix, you, you could maybe... Nix, you didn't have to come to this. You didn't <laughs> like... have to come to this. You could... <laughs> Honestly, you're kind of bringing the mood down. <laughs> but yeah, I... like, so all the fairies go with them. And then, like, you know, uh, you know, they just, we get a scene where... You know, Fawn looks into his eyes and she's just like, you know, I, yeah. I, I love you. And then, like, the very last shot we ever see in this entire franchise is uh, Fawn reflected in Gruff's eyes as he slowly falls asleep. And 
it's then the credits roll there's no like happy like uh you know fairies flying around song montage ending like it's just this little quiet moment and then that's the end of the movie and in a lot of ways it feels like more just than just like a send-off to like this character it kind of feels like a send-off to all these characters because even before he goes to sleep Svan has a line like you know I'll never we'll never see you again but like you know we're always gonna be there for you and then yes, he never and, saw and, these characters again but and oh oh my god Emma <laughs> brilliant just fucking like especially since all like that last shot in particular demonstrates such a like mastery of film that is on display on the part of the animators because that is a motif that you see visually throughout this movie all throughout like they really did this shot like like all throughout the movie the never beast is, like gruff's eyes were different colors depending on his mood and that was like a good parallel in the story like at the start he like we would see like fawn reflected in his eyes while they were all green and then they turned yellow and then blue while they were like all like uh like blinded and now they're back to the green but it's a more aquamarine green like something more subdued and like calm and just like the fact that there's such genuine emotion on all the characters faces as you see the tears roll down their eyes it's it, it it truly it like I don't know I can't like imagine how how anyone couldn't feel that sort of same effect and I <sighs> I it was it was very good I just mwah, brilliance absolute brilliance like despite this these flaws like i just like like i said i i think this is my favorite out of all the disney fairy movies like these like this is the sort of movie that makes me very glad that i do this show because it i like this isn't something that like most people don't actively seek out and stuff but like this is really an underrated movie that i think more people should check out yeah because out of all the disney fairy movies this is probably the one people have seen the least but like i know and that's a shame kind of you know it is kind of a weird duck in the franchise but i mean like i said after watching so many of like not only disney fairies but these types of movies like it's always just really nice when we get something that feels really different and unexpected, you know, even if it yeah, is a very especially, movie. Yeah, well, even with those tropes, like, you do get the impression that the creators really wanted to try and make something, like, different and trying to, like, really stretch their capabilities and stuff. Like, even the stuff I rag on in, in this film does at least demonstrate like an attempt to like try and do something more and like i think that's the sort of thing that deserves all the praise yeah 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 i don't know it is 
it does make make me really sad we didn't get more of these movies but i don't know i do kind of like that this was the tone that they ended on yeah it feels very appropriate for i agree kind of saying goodbye to these characters even though i i wish we could have like you know seen more of them in this movie especially with like a lot of the side characters that got kind of cut here but i mean you know for what it is it it does it does feel like an appropriate ending to the series and i don't know maybe maybe who knows if all the the cycles disney's going through maybe we'll eventually get like a reboot to the series yeah get um, that pixie hollow nostalgia i mean it's like I mean, it's been over 10 years since the first movie. Like, I feel like we will be due for that pretty soon if, like, the resurgence of interest in that on, like, TikTok and YouTube and Tumblr and all those places is any indication. Yeah, I don't know. And I feel like like the, you know, both, like, these movies and stuff, like the Barbie movies, do kind of, like feel like they're kind of coming back into popularity because we're really seeing a resurgence and sort of like cottage core fairy tale kind of mm-hmm. escapism going on so. i mean obviously emma you know what i'm gonna be rating this thing like freaking like even if it's not 100 percent perfect just on an emotional level i'm giving this thing like a 10 out of 10 like i go mm-hmm. go watch this movie listener go watch this if you haven't already like if like like honestly i should have like been up front but like watch this movie like it's 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 very good yeah i'd say if you haven't seen it or like you were like maybe a bit skeptical about it i would i would say it's definitely worth worth giving a watch Mm -hmm. um definitely yeah because and it was also nice because i feel like i've watched the other movies so many times and this one like i had only seen once before so so it felt much more like a fresh experience which was nice but, um, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I give this movie four stone towers out of four. I mean, it's mm. you know I think for what it's trying to do, they did it very solid. And I'm always gonna like admire a movie that just really wanted to do something different and actually like. And it's always interesting when you see a movie in a franchise that has like just a noticeably darker tone than the previous films because like i mean they tried to do like higher stakes situations in the previous movies but like this is the only one that really felt like a life or death situation was going down Mm -hmm. which was very different for this franchise but it was exciting i liked it and to that point i think it's a good illustration of how it is possible to do like a darker store with story without getting into the grim dark trappings which i think that many many franchises particularly those adapting properties originally designed for children fall into like i feel like there's this instinct that like uh in order to be considered like more mature you have to indulge in the more mean-spirited angry and like uh violence for lack of a better word but this movie demonstrates like that willingness to like go darker but still be still within a very approachable manner and something that i think 
works very well for its intended audience of kids. Yeah, I'm glad that you were you were pleasantly surprised at this movie, Henry. I did not expect that it would it, it would emotionally affect you to the way it did. I, but, you I, know, I, yeah, yeah, I, it, it, it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. 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 yeah just remember, uh, g- give a give a hug to your pet, because who knows, they might be a. Uh, an eldritch god that saves the universe you know oh, you never know indeed you yeah, ever, you ever bef- think uh think potato might have some like secrets like that like he's got he's actually like on a mission do you know maybe like, if he's on a mission humanity. for something he's he's i don't know i don't know what potato's mission is aside from attacking my feet profusely Hey, hey, maybe maybe he knows something you don't. Maybe... Oh, maybe my feet are, like, the keys to stopping, you know, the destruction the of the world. Yeah, yeah. He's, or, or, like, an anti-Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> <laughs> oh He's anti-Quentin Tarantino. He's like, we must destroy all feet in the world. It's the only way to stop him. It's the only way to stop Quentin Tarantino from making things worse for everyone. <laughs> yeah. He's he's gonna be the the one who's gonna take down Wiki Feet. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. Oh well. Before we sign off, I do want to pay some lip service to uh, some other stuff. Some stuff with the Disney Fairies franchise. Since we're gonna be, maybe we'll talk about some of the shorts and stuff like that. But this will be our goodbye to the franchise for now. But I do want to say that. Earlier this year, we did see uh, leaked concept art to uh, what would have been the next movie in this franchise. According to artists and stuff who used to work on this movie, the next movie was going to be a steampunk-like sort of designed uh, fairy movie where Tinkerbell went to a special tinkerer's school to like better her inventions where she would meet with like other fairies that like had like all of these like cool sort of uh type of devices and i don't know that could have been really interesting i mean i like to the idea that like if they had been able to continue making movies they would just go in like weirder and weirder directions like mm-hmm. i agree yeah but I don't feel like they would ever gotten around to actually introducing uh, Peter Pan <laughs> to these movies. Yeah, I feel like they would have wanted to avoid that as long as they possibly could have. Well, yeah, I don't know if they ever considered how they were going to reconcile how Tinkerbell is in these movies with how she is in the first Peter Pan movie where she's like tries to murder a child. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, mm. and is like romantically obsessed with this tween age, but actually ageless boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Cause maybe they were like, maybe m- we should just you know, you know stay away from that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's for the best. I will say they did like upload some uh some concept art and. Like, you can find, if you dig around, you can find storyboards and stuff like that for this movie. And it's very interesting. Like, one of the characters that was going to be featured was this uh, Tinker Fairy named 
Ember, and I don't know, she was gonna have, like, she had, like, high heels made from, like, pen tips, and, like, she had, like, this corset and those steampunk goggles, and I feel like if this movie had the chance to come out, people would have shipped those two hard. Though, that said, as I look at the, uh, as I look at the designs for these fairies, I do get the impression that it would have risked them potentially completely replacing the core Disney fairies cast, you know? Because it, it seemed like they were going to make this, like, the new, like, central gimmick of this. I mean, oh. I don't know how much I would feel about that. I would, like, I would want them to develop, like, our girls, you know? Like, you know. Exactly. Like, that's part of the reason why they were so, like, these movies gained such popularity. And that's honestly one of the reasons why they're so long-lasting now. Because they do have those, like, they do have that, like, uh, that core cast that you can really... Like, if you, like, depending on your personalities, there's going to be at least one girl that you're going to enjoy. And I think that's something that a lot of these, um, like, general girls' properties really appreciate. Well, Barbie doesn't do it as well as the others, but something that this, My Little Ponies, and I guess to a certain extent the Bratz dolls do, is they, um, like, there's this... I feel like a lot of media sometimes overlooks how, like, young girls can have wildly different personalities. Like, they're generally marketed to as this same homogenous group when you got, like, sort of the really girly girls, the sort of jockey girls, you got the, like, all sorts of things. And I... I don't know. I don't know. Well, I think the the big difference is... Well, Barbie is kind of positioned more as, like an aspirational figure whereas like something like Bratz or My Little Pony or like the Disney fairy movies it's kind of more like trying to represent like uh oh this might be like the friend groups of our target audience you know these are the people that they hang out with so it's just I guess sort of a different method but um I mean I don't know I like the ones that are kind of like friend group focused and are aren't afraid to have like kind of more uh, you know, protagonists and friends that have, like, kind of their own personality quirks and their own flaws and their own strengths. I think yeah. those are always fun. I Yeah. Uh, and before we end this off, I was doing a little bit digging, and I did find a a little bit of a scoop. This is from, this is from back in uh, 2013, so around the production of this movie. Like, they finished uh, production of this movie in late 2013 uh it got released in the uk in 2014 and in the us in uh 2015 but according to a animation guild uh this is from a blog of the leaders of the animation guild back in uh, 2007 according to uh, jason mcleod uh, he was reaching out to some ground-shifting stuff that was happening at Disney Toon Studios in Glendale, which was where their union was located. And according to some anonymous sources there, quote, 
They told us in the middle of the last week that they won't be making Tinkerbell's number seven and eight. It came out of the blue, really. We were working on seven, and production told us that it was shut down. The manager talked like, uh, the manager I talked to said sales of DVDs had slowed down and Merchandale wasn't selling as strongly as they wanted. Uh, by the way, this was October 17th, uh, 2013. Uh, second quote says, quote, the company is giving us two and a half more weeks, and a lot of people have taken the time off since there's nothing left to work on. After that, they're going to make some final decisions about staff and what's going to happen to everyone. It's crappy, but that's the way it goes in animation business. Nothing goes on forever. And, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, uh... Yeah, I mean, I guess the whole, like, Disney tunes and their whole, like, direct-to-video thing was always... I mean, it kind of went on for so long, you know, when the direct-to-video market was a thing. But I guess now Disney is more like, you know, we gotta, like... Yeah. ...keep our brand as high-quality as possible, so we release our direct-to-theaters instead. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which is hella ironic With, like, considering just the high quality of this actors. one. Yeah. 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 Ugh. Yeah, so now we're yeah, in our uh, I... multi-billion dollar making live action remake phase, which I don't know. Maybe this is just like me being like, well, my crappy nostalgia is better than other people's crappy nostalgia, but like you know, at least with, like, all those, like, direct-to-video movies, they kind of had to do something different. Well, I mean, don't get me wrong. A lot of them were literally just, like, the first movie. A lot but of it's it like sucks the kids. so much. Yeah. Ursula's crazy sister. <laughs> She's <laughs> Ursula, but skinny. Or... Yeah. J ugh. Ugh. No, like, you're not wrong. I feel like Disney Toons was compromised. Like, I think it says something that they did really turn around, like, their output by the end. I think the problem was is that, like, because of decisions made by previous management in the early 2000s, like, under Michael Eisner, like, you know, when people heard of direct-to-DVD Disney, that's what their first instinct was. It's like, oh, because it kind of became a joke at that point about how, like, wow, they're making a lot of really crappy sequels now. And, yeah. and it's not like to mention, this was around the same time when, like, uh, some of their output was beginning to, like, change. Because, like, like, hang on. Um yeah, well, you know, they're kind of they um, had moved away from like the traditional animated stuff into like the CGI stuff more. So yeah, and even so, like uh, when you look at like what had happened, like this movie got released in January of 2015. That's two years after Frozen came out. By then, like Disney was like in a thoroughly post-Frozen world and was like well we gotta like we gotta get this like this is where it's at now yeah and we gotta start making our making our sequels be like you know legitimate sequels with the the same budget 
and releasing in theaters, but also they still won't be that good, aka Frozen 2 and Wreck-It Ralph 2. <laughs> okay, Wreck-It Ralph 2 I have not seen, but I, I okay, I low-key enjoyed Frozen 2 more than the first one, but that's my that's my opinion it's definitely frozen 2 felt like a movie that like could have been really good but like just got bombarded with studio mandates in order to make it more palpable or like more like the first movie this is true you know i i do think about how like since i've seen it i i literally have not really put a whole lot of thought into that movie so like my my verdict from that movie is there was not enough Kristoff in it and also they gave Anna nothing to do in that movie <laughs> they literally did nothing with, they put yeah, her on an ice I canoe agree. and sent her away yep okay, that's my frozen and had, let her have a cave existential also, crisis they definitely should have destroyed Arendelle like the movie was obviously leading they, to that but they chickened out at the last moment and they should have done it they gotta get that Epcot place, like, yeah, all good. well, but, like... Yeah. Epcot, I know. like, D- Disney Parks canon doesn't count, okay? They got, like, uh... They got, like, the, you know... They got, like, the villains running around, even the ones that die. So, like, I mean, Gaston, he'll come up to you and, you know, challenge you to an arm wrestle or whatever, but, like, he, he got thrown off a cliff. Yeah, thrown off a cliff, and he's but he's still alive somehow. And yeah, he's okay with it. Yeah, I I feel ya. I know. How did we get anyway. back to talking about Disney Park stuff? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they did. That does remind me about they did have this really cool like Never Beast exhibit thing that they showed off that d23 the year that never beast came out and it's like and they did have like those disney fairies walk around characters and it's like yeah yeah Yeah, i'm 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 gonna miss i'm gonna miss this franchise it was fun while it lasted um but you know it's like like sometimes you just gotta go to sleep sleep for a thousand years so maybe like a thousand years from now a magical sorry i got the hiccups a magical comet will like come by and reawaken the the disney fairies franchise to to save us from the end times you know indeed until then uh, indeed this is the end until then yeah so well and it leaves until then uh yeah, somber yeah, ending, but thank you for listening to the Pink Owl, guys. Yeah, is... yeah. We're we're like we're kind of at a place where we're not really sure what we're gonna cover next. I know there is another. Believe it or not, they're having another Barbie movie come out soon, so we'll make sure to cover that when that comes out. But uh, oh yeah. As for the franchise, there's just I mean, the 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 deep well of uh, girl toy media out there is pretty deep, you know. We could do uh, we do more brat stuff. We could do more Monster High stuff. We could oh, yeah. maybe do like an American Girl stuff. You maybe you know branch out into some live action stuff. Maybe I can finally force Henry to watch something My Little Pony related. The possibilities are endless. <sighs> you know there is that new series coming. Oh uh, yeah, the 
with uh, Vanessa Hudgens and uh, James Marsden. Oh, really? She's on. I, I haven't she, seen she's anything like the, about the main character. I mean, oh, oh, it is a it is an original movie, so maybe maybe we can we can put it in the rotation. That might be some fun to cover. And I could oh, dump oh info dump you my My Little Pony former former brony fandom lore expertise, and you can be very confused. <laughs> be prepared, Henry. Well, it's gonna be a if fun you time. Do that, yeah. <laughs> well, if you want to do that, listener, uh, you could do a couple of things. First thing you could do is you could follow us on Twitter at Pink Isle Pod and uh, consider giving us a rating on your podcast platform of choice. And But only if yeah. you say good things. Good things only. Yeah. We know that we're flawless and we never make mistakes. Yeah, and we know that none of you guys are butthurt about us not liking Barbie and the 12 Dancing Princesses. <laughs> we will never apologize for our opinions. Nah, nah. But uh, Emma, you know who, you know it's another place where you can post your opinions, except you never do that, actually. Yeah, which is probably you can for follow the best. My, you can follow my Twitter if you want at EmmaCorey9. I don't really post anything on it, but I mean, I'll probably follow you back and then like you can feel validated by the uh, following approval of a, of a stranger on the internet, as we all do. So, yes, yes. And uh, as for me, listener, I, uh, I don't know how how much i'll follow you back maybe i will probably but uh you can follow me on twitter at uh Kathman henry and uh yeah there's a lot of stuff with me i don't know uh following my portfolio page on my tumblr with all my stuff henry um there's also my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash Henry Kathman. And, uh, you know, uh, keep an eye out for Worlds Elsewhere stuff. Worlds Elsewhere Theater Company. It, just look them up because I do stuff with them. And Patreon. If you want to support this podcast and all the stuff I done do, uh, consider give, checking me a buck on Patreon. Um, something new that I'm going to be adding on there is I'm going to be uh, once a month I'm making little powerpoints for my patrons where uh, I'm, I make a little short video re recording of me going through like a powerpoint with some silly topics there and if you want to see some of the stuff I talk about there go there because some of the stuff might be related to topics pertinent to the pink aisle so yeah or you could be like me and just get these uh, PowerPoint topics put onto you without consent and being burdened with the knowledge of deep Scooby-Doo lore that I never asked for. <laughs> well, you know, but that's that's what you get for knowing me in real life, so. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I guess that's going to be about it. Uh, Emma, do you have any, like, parting thoughts or words to, like, Pixie Hollow and Tinkerbell and the crew? Nah. Oh. Dang. <laughs> I was feeling all profund profound and shit, like, all 
like this episode. It, it really put me in a somber mood, but you know what? Yeah. yeah. This has been good. Sometimes been good. we've said all um, we need to say. We thank you all once again for listening. Uh, we hope to hear from you guys soon. So, uh, bye. Sayonara. <laughs>